Welcome to the Dog Show 9000, the weekly podcast for the final comedy website, 1900hotdog.com. On the internet, Sean Baby, very beloved, but maybe not as much as my co-host, author, and webpage luminary, Robert Brockway. Here is a Brockway fact. On New Year's Eve 1999, the local news put me on their kiss cam as the ball dropped. On New Year's Day 2000, I woke up to the severe and immediate consequences of what was shown there. No follow <gasps> Oh, damn it. Well, our guest, more beloved than both of, both of us, novelist and internet celebutante, known the world over for his 1-900 hot dog contributions, and sometimes for his best-selling novels, John Dies at the End and Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick, Jason Parton! So this is the year-end episode, correct? You're not going to squeeze in another one before the year's over? Nope. Uh, this, this should be the year-end. Right, right at the very end. And you guys have recorded a special... I, I, on, I cannot hear the theme song from where I am. You guys have <laughs> recorded a special year-end theme song for this episode, or have you not? Yes, but it's all subliminal. <laughs> it will sound <laughs> to the uninitiated exactly like... But you are being right. programmed. Um, but before we get into the episode proper, if this is the final episode, obviously that means we have to do uh, year-end employee evaluations mm, very quickly. Idea. So just to get this, this, this little bit of housekeeping and the listeners can just be patient. Sean, just very, very briefly, what are some times in the last 12 months where you feel like Brockway did not live up to the standards of oh, this no. company and of the customer satisfaction pledge that you have as a corporation and the values of just, you know, what you believe in at 1900 hot dog, where you just feel like he has fallen short either of, mm. of his potential or just of your expectations of him? It, any other company, <laughs> I would say the week where all he did was post shirtless pictures in the work slack. But here at 1900 Hot Dog, that's actually uh, encouraged. And in fact, that was probably the most positive uh, work environment I'd ever uh, been a part of. It was theme week. We, we hit $10,000. We promised to post shirtless pics in the work slack all week. I promised uh, that. For the record, it was not uh, planned <laughs> okay, I promised or discussed. That. I promised that to me. <laughs> um, and just let me very quickly turn it around. Brockway, in the last 12 months of 2021... What are some times where you feel like Sean exceeded your expectations mm. and actually achieved even more than what you expected of him and actually set a new standard for what what you can accomplish at 1900 Hot Dog as a company? Oh, easy, man. Uh the workplace the 1900 Hot Dog Kumite just fucking demolished oh, fucking, that. Like I yeah. was expecting him to perform well, of course, he's the main character, but 76 consecutive knockouts was was I, I believe that's a new world record. A lot of those were apes and children, though. Right, but that's, I mean, that's the selling point. You're saying that? Yeah, like I, yeah you're right. That, that was fun. We advertised it as the all-ape, all-child kumite <laughs> and then entered you uh-huh. in an ape costume, and you fucking ruled the joint. It was just, <laughs> just it was beautiful. It was magnificent. <laughs> that might be my first... Uh, year-end review like that, Jason. I, I've only had one office job in my life, and it was less than a year. So, um, so yeah, this is... Oh, man, we had to do those. It cracked every year. Every year, and, and it was so it was so stupid because... And, and again, I, I, get, I, I get that the people administering them to us, because we were, we were always owned by another company, owned by another company that employed all sorts of different people. 
So mm. like the year-end review form, it's like the same form whether the employee is a salesperson or a secretary <sighs> or whatever. Or like somebody. it scripts they were geared towards like news people. Yeah. <laughs> they or, use the same form. Or somebody who just writes boner jokes every week. <laughs> it was so hard to do. It was the hardest goddamn thing of that job. So you yeah. had to like quantify your accomplishments. Whereas like the sales team, they had strict like number goals they can hit. Um, and there's no like equivalent of that. So just every year you're just totally BSing this thing. And I, I was just, I would be damned if I was going to give like a less than perfect review for somebody under me. Cause it's like, mm. no, I don't, if you want an excuse to not pay this person as much, you're not going to get it from me. You just don't pay them as much. Don't say, well, you know, your score came in at a 3.8 right. out of a five. And so, you know, you don't get the performance based pay increase. Like, no, if you don't want to pay them, just say you don't want to pay them, but don't, don't use, don't use this as an excuse. And sometimes they <laughs> did say that. Yeah. Was there, um, was there any like, uh, delicate things in there? Like, did they ever say like, Hey, I noticed you, you rate the non-white employees worse than the people of color. Cause like, once you start throwing that into those, I, I imagine that's. I don't a think so. It nightmare. was mostly for me anyway. Like they did a lot of self evals and shit and they would have you write sometimes just thousands upon thousands of words about whatever you had done and like projects that you had spearheaded and things like that, like things that sort of applied to you so that you would try to, but you would have to try to spin like, well, a project I spearheaded was an animated series about boners. It was called boner town. And like, it just, it was the hardest goddamn thing. Yeah, I know well, it, was it was a, a critical hit, but it's hit. So hard it wasn't, to... it didn't get a lot of traffic, but I, I, I think it advanced the brand. <laughs> Uh, Bonerton. I'm sorry, I pronounced it wrong. It was Bonerton. <laughs> the mayor of Bonerton. I like our, I'm having a nice time on our mess around, but we really need to get going because today we're talking about the, the backstory, uh, that fell through the cracks during our, uh, you know, relentless daily content assault. Uh, so I guess let's kind of get into the process of what we do here. Uh, it's probably worth talking about and how what we do here at the hot dog is different than what we did at Cracked. Uh, Obviously I'm sorry. I do want to interject. I I I, I, I do apologize. This is this is very rude podcast guest behavior. The fact that <laughs> well, if you, you don't through, do it, I, I'm you, just reading to you. Go you, ahead, go ahead. you got through my intro in just six minutes, and you're acting like that was a long time to spend on an intro is outrageous. <laughs> that is the most hyper efficient. <laughs> Getting oh, yeah. through my usually you you've got a good thirty five to forty minutes with me on the show before you ever get around to the thing we were supposed to be talking about. So. This is all planned. Uh, my notes don't get to actual notes for like a thousand words uh, that just say like this is the part where we will talk with Jason about this. Undoubtedly, <laughs> yeah. so we we're ready. Wrote out the whole re review bit, and it was it was spot on, as so if from if a you, script. If you want to get to the real podcast. Skip to the bonus podcast. The rest of this will be all intro. <laughs> At, like, what all was right. it, Bordello of Blood, where we actually did that? Yeah, we yep. never we forgot to talk about the movie. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right, please. But yes, but back to oh, what I you guess were what saying. I was what I was talking about here at the maximum hilarity and maximum hype one hundred hot dog. We basically are just uh, doing jokes. Like we don't have a ton of structure, but when we are cracked, of course, we we're closer to journalism or. Um, uh, Jason's articles are often like social science communication, I guess is what you'd call them, along with the boner jokes. So um, 
I sort of escaped this. I did mainly the boner jokes, but um, for the most part at Cracked, they're very heavily researched, sometimes by up to seven or eight people. And, you know, it was great. It was a bummer. It all got destroyed, yada, yada. So um, what makes me so happy here uh, at the website we built is that we can just sort of pick up a thing, explain it, make jokes about it. And then we have a funny article that exists. And it's usually enough, uh, but it obviously doesn't work for everything. So we're going to talk today about articles that I probably should have researched more uh, because after I posted it, we found out some super interesting or crazy details about it. So, um, yeah, right, like we researched the crazy thing. We find the crazy thing and explain it to you. And then it's yeah. your problem. Then we're done. Yes. I'm like, if you, like you want to keep going, if you want to be a journalist about it, <laughs> that's fine. But we are not. We are not journalists here. Yeah. I just let yes. me make it very clear. Sean has not found. I think we've got three or four examples here. These are not times when the site got it wrong. It's where sure. the story was actually much weirder or stupider than it was conveyed because if we didn't follow the rabbit hole down far enough, like there's or another layer going. and some of times the layer is so dark that I, I'm kind of maybe glad that it wasn't included. <laughs> right. Yeah. We should content warning. Now, some of these are some dark stories. Um, we but, like, we, you especially find almost exclusively fringe lunatics. I don't know how yes. anybody could expect. It's like asking what happened to a professional wrestler, you know, how does that to some degree? Yeah, it's really sad. Don't Google the guy hosting this pro wrestler workout video. It's uh, going to be bad. So some, yeah. I guess, like, for instance, if I was uh, doing a 1-800 hot dog article on the original unreleased Fantastic Four movie, I'd probably just, like, go through the plot, take some screenshots, make fun of the dumb parts. It'd be a lot of fun for me. It's what I love to do. It's what my fans, they'd probably expect. But the better and probably way more broadly appealing article would be like the fascinating store behind it, like how it was a desperate technicality to keep the rights to the characters and how like these fucking money pits of unmarketable characters keep getting made into a movie. Uh, but I guess uh, what sucks about that uh, is you, you're probably telling readers stuff they already know. Uh, like in the example I'm using, they did a long bit about that in Arrested Development. So now you're in the article, you're like, do I mention Arrested Development? And if you do, now you're describing like an old IP contract stipulation along with somebody else's jokes. And that sucks. So maybe that's interesting, but good luck making it hilarious. And also it involves a ton of outside research into the facts and making sure those are right. And how much they penetrated the zeitgeist, you might discover that it costs less money to make that Roger Corman movie than it did to cater the Rise of Silver Surfer and probably reach the same amount of people and critical acclaim and, and, uh, also, you might discover 11 other websites have done this exact same article. So you're like, well, now this fucking sucks. I, I just wasted five days researching Fantastic Four to discover everyone already knows about it. And um, so yeah, that's I what's believe nice I've about done exactly that on several occasions. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it does what I love suck about this a lot is, of the joy out of writing, doing it that way. <laughs> because yes, you're always brushing up against this guardrail called journalism. And it's like, whoa, I'm about to dive into making claims about this person mm -hmm. <laughs> that are legally like actionable if they're wrong. So yeah, now at one I've point I had to, to look up like I had to Google journalistic ethics. <laughs> Just <laughs> what, what are my morals in this situation? Never a great sign. Not what you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so sometimes I deliberately don't Google someone just so their nutbag book can speak for itself. I really like that. That Like, here's a book. We're just going to pretend 
the rest of the world doesn't exist and review this book. It's also worth mentioning, of course, we're very busy and we can't spend days and days on background research for every article. I can't fly to Indiana to record an oral history of uh, Emily's pocket cat horoscopes. I'd love to. I think Emily was probably really fascinating, but... Um, now, five so anyway. years from now, that is what 1-900-HOT-DOG will be. It, like These episodes will sound like like Gimlet podcasts, and it'll be people yes. on the scene. Like you will have an interview with these authors. You will talk to Godek yes. and, and all of these Don Diebel. Like you'll have them on the show. Oh my God. If oh, those yeah, two men didn't try to reporters. fuck me up on site, I would be shocked. <laughs> uh, it'll be more, uh, more Springer than you think. Like a Springer <laughs> right. in a podcast. You'll just have to listen to the fights. I'm going to pitch this right now and tell me it isn't like your favorite idea. I go around meeting people I've written about and just letting them try to fuck me up. <laughs> and fighting. Meeting and yeah. fighting the people I make fun of. It's, it's beautiful. I, it's absolutely our more successful spinoff podcast. And just <laughs> 75% of the episodes are Sean arriving there and saying, yes, is Mr. Whoever here? And they're like, well, he died six years ago. <laughs> Can I fight his son? 60% of those are murder-suicide. It's just a sad I think man his saying, wife is oh, also angry at me. Is his widow pissed? Would she try to fuck me up? Oh, no, she's dead, too. Don't worry about that. <sighs> it just okay. be the most tragic podcast. And- <laughs> yeah, it would. We'd have to have a really fun ending theme song to, to punch up the sad moments. Uh, so I guess I, I can get started on some of the examples I brought. I brought four examples. Uh, I think we could probably get through this in a reasonable amount of time. Uh-huh, uh, the first one. Sure. Yeah, we got a great shot at this. Oh, I brought uh, I brought six. Sorry. Oh, fuck yes. Okay, <laughs> and we'll go fast. Jason, do you uh, no minor quick the minor quick Don't worry. about the the Devil Stick VHS I found? Does that ring a bell? Yes, I've I've read I think almost every article. Huh? On, Hell yes, on, I remember on, that on, best. On, yeah. I remember that best because I think it was the first time I heard you say I felt kind of bad for making fun of this guy. That's true. I th- it was really sad. It's. Uh, it's kind of breathtaking in its dorkiness. It's just a little guy juggling sticks silently by himself in front of a curtain. Looks like it might be like a local church or something. And he teaches you really basic like devil stick tricks. If you don't know, it's like when you have the three sticks and you tap them back and forth. And, and this was a VHS like, that was sold back in what era? Yeah. Uh, I think it was like the mid nineties. Yeah. Back, back uh, when you could like, yeah. there's this whole market. People don't really, there's this whole market of stuff that now would go straight onto YouTube People would get them mm-hmm. put onto VHS and they would wind up in grocery stores and stuff. Like you, these right. instructional tapes for magicians and everything. A lot of the stuff Sean finds, it's this, there was this booming market for like 10 or 15 years of this junk VHS where it seemed like anybody could film themselves doing anything and yeah. it would get distributed on videotape. And it did not have to be good because no. how would you return it? <laughs> and it costs $35 on release and $2 right. three months after release. And uh, Jane Fonda has a lot to answer for because she made like $50 billion by making a workout video. And everyone saw that and said, well, shit, that, that's one hour of my life. I might as well try it. And so every celebrity did exactly that. Uh, and then and, parodies of that. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. And that's where, that's where the universe that's collapsed. That's where we come itself. in. <laughs> that's where we come in. So uh, I guess I'll talk about the rest of this guy's tape just so you have a clear picture in your head. He'd tap the stick back and forth, and it'd be like, this is how you do the twirl. 
And they show you how to do that like three times. And then it would fade out. It'd fade back in. And he'd say, this is how you do the twirl with like a kick. And he'd add like a little swag to it, like like a child might if they'd been juggling for four minutes. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> kick back and forth. Fucking twirl with a kick. There's not a lot of tricks you could do with devil sticks. So um, he's also a super nerd where like the box says like, I'm actually, uh, devil sticks is a mistranslation of the original <laughs> Chinese. It's uh, oh, closer God. to flower sticks. And so that's the fucking guy you're dealing with. So I was like, am I bullying this person? Yes. Um, and rightfully yeah. so. Right. But I still felt bad. I still was like, this poor guy like had his grandma film him, go to the church and juggle. Um, so in the case of this tape, uh, it's usually exactly what it looks like. I looked at the cover of this box. I'm like, this is a nerd juggling. And it was. So I just watch it, verify it, strange enough to share. And it was. It's a passion project from a talentless, artless loser, which is the perfect thing to both admire and make fun of. So that's what I did. Why even bother to Google, uh, who is Neil Stammer? That's the guy's name. So uh, I had a little cute ending to the thing where he, he blew out one of his sticks when it was on fire, which was like the showstopper. And it just fades to black. I'm like, that's perfect. That's the end of the video. It's the end of the article. And about five minutes after the article went live, someone at Discord thought to trouble Google with the question of who Neil Stammer was. And it led to a 2014 story called FBI Fugitive Captured. Juggler was on the run for 14 years. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the the much better article. Yes. (laughs) So this fucking guy, his charges were unlawful flight to avoid prosecution, kidnapping, criminal sexual misconduct of a minor, bribery of a witness, battery, criminal sexual penetration in the first degree. Like grotesque crimes. Yeah. That's why I said the content. I, like, I would not be dark. at all surprised to learn that that is the follow-up fate to many of the people that we talk about, or even the. We don't even have to talk about that person. Just if I make fun of like a movie, you know, like well, the director of that movie had to go on the run from the FBI for four. I would not be surprised. But yes. this is like the one guy I would mm-hmm. have been surprised about. He just yes. even his name the- like seems made for harmless bullying, and to to not only have him as uh, just an absolute monster, but a monster that then evades the FBI for right. 14 years is just, it's, it's astonishing. Unthinkable. And and here's the thing. I think he might have just been chased by the most incompetent FBI agents because the first paragraph of the article was like talking about the interview with the agent. And he's like, how do you catch a fugitive who's been on the run for 14 years, has traveled extensively overseas, speaks a dozen languages and could be anywhere in the world? And the special agent said, well, it took a little bit of luck. And so here's (laughs) the thing. I love how they talk up. What a fuck. He's fucking Thomas Crown over here. Just (laughs) elite super criminal. It's quite a spin on it because uh, those things, when it says he's been extensively traveling extensively overseas, according to the same article, that meant he was like a panhandling juggler in Europe. Like that's how he spent his youth. Used his juggling skills to evade his captors. Right. <laughs> so he says he speaks a dozen languages. There's no evidence for that uh, other than him knowing that devil sticks actually means flower sticks in Chinese. In 12 um, languages. Yes, he speaks devil sticks in 12 languages. And um, so his original crimes when he was in 1999, he was a magic shop owner. And that's when he did that's these unspeakable sex crimes. And then they released him on bond and poof, somehow the magician sex criminal vanished. And... His greatest uh, illusion. His greatest illusion. Uh, 
so they're claiming he's like basically the evil Batman. He can juggle. He can speak all these languages. He knows how to navigate Europe. And he's been to China. Uh, so my take on him was that he was a, a way below average juggler with zero <laughs> charisma. So I could see not noticing him or capturing him and then forgetting about him in your car. Like that's a real thing that might have happened to the police. But not being able to get ahead of his international juggle rampage seems fucking crazy to me. Uh, so after 14 years of getting outsmarted, they finally hand the old case over to some new investigator who, quote, on a whim, decided to run some wanted posters through a passport fraud facial recognition software. And sure enough, they match his face to a passport with a different name. And the guy thought, hmm, would a sex offender on the run change his name? Wait a second. This could be the guy. No, he didn't. He thought this might be unrelated fraud. And anyway, they contact Nepal and they say, hey, we've got this passport like discrepancy. And they found a guy named Kevin Hodges who regularly visited the U.S. Embassy there to renew his uh, tourist visa. So he's just... Basically visited Nepal and kept going to the embassy and saying, hey, I'm still visiting. I'm still visiting for years. And he was there just teaching English to Nepalese people. No mention of juggling. Oh, he I was wish just it was teaching juggling to Nepalese. <laughs> yeah. So much better. Movie. Uh, so this is it. He just re- some dude thought to look for him. They found him instantly. And then even after that, it seems like a pain in the ass. It says it took the cooperation of three agencies to extradite him. Like the agent made a point of mentioning how tremendous everyone's effort was in doing this. So sex offenders, if you hate jail, just visit beautiful Nepal for as long as you want. And you'll you'll probably be fine, is the moral of Neil Stammer's story. He didn't get away with it, but it seems like that was just a total fluke. Learn how to juggle the law. That's his tagline. Yes. So that's just... A quintessential one nine hundred hot dog story. Not not the sex rampage, but this <laughs> kind the, of kind of though. <laughs> but the fact that this that you had this international magician juggler sex uh, fiend alleged, mm-hmm. and that Sean was just satisfied with criticizing the guy's juggling. <laughs> and that was it. Like that's it's almost childlike in its in its charm that how mad Sean got at his juggling, not doing any of this other stuff. And it would be yep. like if you would stumble across because infamous uh, cult leader Jim Jones, who for the younger audience he eventually led a, a compound in what was it, South America, and they all committed suicide. Hundreds of people at his command. Mm-hmm. Before that, before he got into being a preacher and cold leaguer, he sold monkeys door to door. So it would be like if you had written an article about this guy's whimsical monkey selling operation and just totally neglected, to. totally neglected to mention that, oh, by the way, he later on would start a cult and people would drink. The, the phrase drinking the Kool-Aid comes from that mass suicide ritual because they put it in off brain. No, Kool-Aid we would leave that up to the comments. We wouldn't say, by the way, at the end. We would just end it on him, on him like vanishing with his monkey into the into the sunrise and then somebody in the comments would have to say oh hey this guy was also a cult leader and we'd be like whoa Whoa. (laughs) yeah so this was a little i guess embarrassing but also i did let the art speak for itself um i did not come up with this story like the art did not say this to me i think Uh, in a way he'd be flattered to learn like i'm sure everybody else only remembers him for the sex rampage and flight from the law, the decade-long <laughs> right. flight from the law, I think he'd be flattered to know that we just made fun of his juggling. That we we only think of him 
first that would as be a juggler. Real nice change of pace. For Somebody him, should I tell bet. him. We should find him in prison. I'm telling you, if he found this article about him that was written about the FBI, he would feel like evil Batman. They like they praise him so much. I'm sure and he has. And it looked like it was rewritten from several AP releases because it's like it just keeps repeating itself, like slightly reworded. It's a very strange article. Uh, I guess we could link to it in the footnotes. But um, so that's the story of Neil Stammer. Now, I want to get the other dark, terrible, violent crime one out of the way. Uh, Only one? There's only there's one. No, there's only one more terrible violent crime one. So um, you on our award probably series, Megan Wants a Murderer, we watched five episodes of the 2009 reality show, Megan Wants a Millionaire. Uh, Brockway, do you want to explain the, the frankly genius premise of this show in case All someone right. didn't we, listen? We got Eddie Doty on uh, for the first episode to just give mm-hmm. us, you know, how these shows work and, and what happened right. to the industry after that. He was a VH1 that. editor at the time. So yeah, he, like he had the inside insider. dope. On, on the legacy of this show and how it, it just kind of destroyed everything that came after it and found out that, that there was a murderer on the show. And I suggested, uh, I, it, it probably arrogantly, but I'm going to say accurately, that I could find this murderer based yeah, solely on his performance on the show. And uh, this is something I do all the time. I'm always trying to find a murderer based on their performance in, in shows and day-to-day life. And, and uh, I videos. always, I and always, you, you always miss. <laughs> I always find a murderer. It might not be the murderer I, w- I set out for. It might not be the murderer you all agree is, is important. Uh, but yeah, we set out to find this murderer across five episodes. We watched all of the episodes, including the ones that never did air because of the murders. Mm-hmm. And uh, I narrowed it down to two people. I am adamant that they were both murderers and one of them got away with it. And, uh, I just, I, at the last minute, I didn't trust my gut, and I went with the guy that was not the murderer. But I almost got him. But you almost got him. Set but up for the al- sequel. Along the way, we fell in love with a lot of the supporting characters, uh, because the show cast almost exclusively maniacs. There was a, a sex plumber millionaire who sang an original song to Megan as a present called Sex Mode. Sex Mode. Uh, he claims he wrote it over the course of several years. Uh, and he bullied a weird trust fund kid who had never stepped outside the grounds of his family manor's courtyard. Uh, one guy bragged about being a diving master and then almost died in three feet of water. Uh, there was Tom Jane Frankenstein. There was Donald, the assisted living uh, nurse molester who called himself a movie producer because he sometimes put up 80K for a amateur softcore trauma knockoffs. Uh, Just Jack a, Dagger. An absolute crank of a man. Yes, he was a crank. Oh God, I forgot about Jack Dagger. <laughs> yes, he was just a guest knife thrower who showed them how to throw knives. But our favorite was Corey who we almost instantly recognized as a colony of star spores being, uh, they were piloting a corpse uh, of something once called Corey. He was mesmerizing. He was just a cluster of life trying to get to water and bud. He never so. saw, never once saw something in front of him. He was no. always, he was always looking back to the stars from whence he came. <laughs> so, okay. This is where the story gets dark. There was a terrible domestic abuse story in 2014. You probably heard about, because it involved two celebrities. Uh, it was UFC fighter uh, John Coppenhaver, who changed his name to War Machine at the time, and an adult film star named Christy Mack. Did you hear about the story, Jason? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it was a terrible story. They. Uh, so what happened is those two had dated for about a year. They'd broken up a few months before the, this event. And uh, War Machine came to her house. He still had the key and found her with another man and attacked him, beat him. And he just beat him for like 10 minutes. He put him in a chokehold. And he made, like, in this chokehold, he made her, upon 
threat of neck death to this dude. Tell this guy that you still love me. And then he said, I'm going to kill you if you call the cops. Run away and don't call the cops. And the guy ran away and then didn't. So it left Christy Mack alone with the maniac professional fighter, ex-con, filled with adrenaline and rage and a history of assault for hours. And it was very bad. Worse than I care to describe. She escaped with her life with like a lacerated liver and got to a neighbor's house. And they, she's, she's alive and well. Uh, I think she's back to 100%. Anyway, uh, War Machine goes on the run publicly tweeting the whole time. Like, it's just the dumbest fucking story of insanity. Uh, it's like a, the sleazy reality TV producer who made Megan Wants a Millionaire, wrote a movie, and it accidentally came true. So, here's the twist you probably saw coming. The guy from the chokehold was Corey. Wow. <laughs> I know. I, I, I kind of thought he, were, he was maybe the spores that infested War Machine, but... <laughs> I guess yeah. that works too. And um, so he just abandoned this woman to a lunatic murderer who's already beaten her a few times. Not that he knew that. And it took him four years before he finally made a public statement about it. And he was like, oh, I figured they would just work it out. Because like, <laughs> I, already, I already got beat up. Because like, I don't who else have would get beat human up? emotions. Right. I, I don't understand and, why you care so much for these disposable bodies. And after hearing the horrible details of that story and knowing his part in it and how he could have prevented it if he wasn't a coward, he said to a reporter, why would I, why am I the one getting beat up if she's the one saying she loves him? So like, while like some guy says, wow. you tell, tell this guy that you love me or I'll kill him. And she was like, okay, I, I do. He's like, well, geez, I guess I believe him. So it's like, I guess, oh, this guy stole my date. I guess I'll go home. Darn. So, uh. I don't know. I, I, I feel like this is like this guy was on a reality show to win a woman. So he's, his brain's probably not right. But this feels like like alpha male shit. Like if you go up and choke a guy and say, hey, give me your girlfriend. And then you like you do like th that's like what Corey's plan was to begin with. And so when it happened to him, he's like, oh, fair play. I guess he did. He did win the fist fight. He gets the girl. I don't know. I don't know. It's fucked up to me. But uh that's the dark story of Megan Wants a Murderer. That thing that we did where it was like, okay, we're talking about a murder. Is this going to be fun? It absolutely was. Everyone had a great time. And then like, oh, wait, there's a dark story to that murder that's completely not fun. And we didn't even know about it. Well, it's fun because the whole point is, and again, for the listeners that didn't see Megan Wants a Millionaire, it's, it's one of those dating things. You've got, it's a, mm -hmm. one woman and there's a bunch of dudes competing for her attention through a bunch of ridiculous challenges and right. they're all dysfunctional weirdos because in the world of reality tv there's like this pool of contestants or at least there used to be where that's just like you'd see the same people turn up on different shows and then they turn up as a right. guest on spring it's the same people and that that was like their their part-time job was just showing up this on was shows. megan's third show probably maybe yeah, fourth. yeah and so like the whole fun of that podcast series, which, by the way, if you, you know, please go back and listen to it. If you've not listened to every single episode of The Dog Zone 9000, they're great. But they're great because the whole point is you're trying to say, well, which of these dysfunctional weirdos are just innocuous dysfunctional weirdos and which one is actually mm -hmm. dangerous? Because out in the real world, this is something that actual women dating a guy for the first time this is a snap decision they have to make all the time right. is this guy just odd or is he going to try to kill me 
later. Like uh, that's yeah. not a joke. Like that's there, there's one guy out there who's who's going to kill you. So when you're watching all these goofballs like bumble and, and over to each that point, other, Megan Megan let that guy go all the way to the end. The the murderer. Yeah, it's your reverse soulmate. The one guy. She's, so she does not have that judgment you're describing. All women should. You know, be developing, and that's why it made for fascinating listening and and the the lighthearted dog's own fashion. But it it was legitimately interesting because you could you everyone has has asked themselves that like the people mm-hmm. who live next to Jeffrey Dahmer had no idea he was a murderer. There's just he's quiet, he's a little bit weird, and his apartment smells like corpses. Like that's <laughs> like that's it. So you How always seen it coming. Yeah, you you always ask yourself like what I know. And so you guys were doing like the reality show version of that. It's like, well, would you you watch this person interact, you see how they navigate challenges, like you're seeing how they think. Can you how they try to lick a woman? The difference between a mere incel and and an actual dangerous person. But the reason this related story, which I, I guess you guys would have just barely mentioned it in passing if you had stumbled across it, is the revelation that all of these like reality show contestants, if you're like my, you know, my grandparents watching these shows, you assume you probably take it at face value. Like here's a woman looking for a rich guy to to marry. And then these are actual rich people, like they scoured the country for eligible right. bachelors. And you would assume that, it, that what they say is true. You would not realize the truth, which is that these are all like aspiring influencers or whatever. Like they're all mm-hmm. around L.A. and just trying to find something. So it's like, yeah, I can I, I technically can claim I've got money so i can be on to qualify to be on this show because the loans count and it turns out they do (laughs) (laughs) and they're just casting it like a part and so the the idea that all these people it's like well how would this guy know war machine's wife and it's like well like that that tier of fame those people i think they all kind of run in the same circles you think that's accurate if yeah i would they could run into each other at parties or or because sure. they're all trying he was to like still trying to same... buy a woman. I, I feel like he was that was his quest to buy a woman. Yeah, that's didn't work the first time. He, but uh, there is a happy ending. Uh, War Machine is uh, life. He's he got sentenced to life in prison. I think he's eligible for parole at like in 2050. And uh, I'm, I don't think Christy Mack does porn anymore. But like I, I like I say, I think she's facial reconstructed. I think she's she's in good shape. And Corey has returned to the earth. And yes, I think Corey's spores scattered in the beating, so uh, he reproduced, which was his <laughs> Serious main Serious question, what is he doing now? Uh, I, it, the articles I read said he was just like a mogul, like he runs like just totally generic, like web grifty things. Like we do, yeah, just he le- He's just, learned nothing. He does not everybody that you meet in life has a character arc. Corey <laughs> yeah. does not. Yeah, it was really despicable, the things he was saying. It wasn't like, God, I regret not calling the police when when that woman was left with the maniac. Because he was just like, his feelings were hurt because he lost a fist fight. And the guy winning the fist fight said, hey, tell this guy that you're mine. And he's like, well, Jesus, she said it, so fuck Well, that's blinding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just... I, I don't know how four ever, years of reflection doesn't reveal he's kind of a piece of shit for that. Yeah, I think everyone in the listenership here would have gone to a phone and called the police and said, hey, there's 
Right. I just ran out of a house. This guy's going to, he's going to kill this woman. Like, get, here's the address. Yeah. Go there. It's domestic abuse. I witnessed it. Like, his threat means nothing. It's, but, you know, I'm stating the obvious, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's not, sure. that's not too much to ask. We're not asking him to have fought off War Machine. We're asking him to have pulled his phone out of his pocket and called the police. Right. Uh, it, I, I think winning the machine again, winning the fight against War Machine was probably unlikely. He was, most of a human corpse filled with mushroom spores and war machine was like a full on UFC fighter who probably yeah, came in at like, you know, there's a, a huge difference a between a sack of spores and a professional fighter. But uh, they just want different anyway. things out of life. <laughs> it's true. Uh, let's do it. Like, I'm going to do a fun one. I'm going to do a happy one. Um, oh, good. Uh, They're happy. Ones. Rockway, See, did, this is the surprising thing. Did you really bring additional examples to what Sean had? Uh, I did, but I, I figured they'd be I didn't know how much the we, end, and they're quicker. We wanted to race through these, but uh, yeah, because I, I would like to get to no. as many as possible, obviously. But uh, uh, take your time, and I'll I'll do mine like uh like the end of Animal House, where we're just doing a a quick follow up. Well, I'll take this. I'll take my time with this one because this is the author of One Thousand One Ways to Slow Down. So Aww. this is uh, Barbara Ann Kipfer. And she calls herself a master list maker. She's written over 80 books and calendars. How dare and- you? From two, <laughs> two to three, 2.5 master list makers. How dare no, you? She, she's a self-proclaimed master list maker. Uh, I can verify at least 10 of the books she wrote are, are just fucking needle-burying stupid. She's a barely functioning dumb shit offering advice to a chimpanzee when she writes a book. I can't imagine anyone sincerely writing dumber advice. Uh, and most of her books are indistinguishable from sarcasm. And I just want to verify that like, I hate this genre of like tidbit lists. Like if it says 5,800 ways to be happy, like the book's going to be stupid. That being said, I have seen list books that aren't stupid. I buy these things all the time and I throw so many of them away if they turn out to be smart or useful. It's a weird life, but that's my life. Uh, and I just want to say she's objectively one of the stupidest authors I've ever read. And uh, for after- listeners who did not listen, did not read your review of how to slow down her 1001 tips for slowing down. Do uh-huh. you have it nearby or off the top of your head? Do you I do have a couple near- of examples. Nearby. I thought we would do, I was even going to use it for the, for the book game in our bonus episode. This book is almost exclusively like five things. It was like chew your food slower slow down, uh, meditate, uh, think to yourself or like appreciate the beauty of some small thing. And it's just those fucking things reworded over and over for a thousand entries. Yeah. I like that many of the tips in how to slow down are slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners, there were literally like 20 different versions of eat your food slower. She just kept (laughs) rephrasing it and and listing different types of food, but all this so good. Try to eat your soup slow. You know, consider taking your food and slowing down with it. It was like beyond insulting. It was just like... Y'all like, ever tried to chew with your tongue? Try to chew with your tongue only. It's like she had her editor in a glass box that they couldn't escape and she would smugly like type another one and be like, Haha, technically that counts. Uh, so anyway, I, I dunk on this idiot and her fucking asshole tidbit book. And then I just Google to see if she's still alive, kind of on a whim. And I get her Wikipedia and I find out this woman, the dumbest woman I've ever heard of, has three PhDs. She, and they are in linguistics. PhDs. 
Yeah, PH dams. Uh, <laughs> linguistics, archaeology, and Buddhist studies. Shit. And she did she did her undergrad in PE, which and see this is where I get <laughs> suspicious because it are these just really easy programs like archaeology feels is surprisingly tough in a weird way. I would think so too, right? But archaeology and Buddhist studies seem kind of simple. Like, I feel like Buddhist studies is almost a fail-proof academic journey. I don't want to sound like a, an 80s stand-up comic, but but if you skip a Buddhism test as your teacher, Mark, your greatest, we shall see what karma determines. So my point is... <laughs> my point is you can't fail Buddhism, and archaeology seems like it might be an easy major. It's not elementary ed, but maybe. Um... Please leave a comment in the section if you're an archaeologist and I'm wrong. She's a a lexicographer who edits like the thesaurus, like Roger's thesaurus. So that seems like a pretty important academic job, like not the one you'd give to the most nimble-minded word nerd, but a big accomplishment that she would be right to bring up if she Googles her name and discovers I'm calling her a dumbass. Like, it would be fair for her to say, fuck you, I edit the thesaurus. Uh, And I also, I sometimes use a thesaurus when I'm writing a joke. I am language. (laughs) Right. Like, maybe you guys use the, the sources. When I'm writing a joke and my dumb brain has gone completely dumb, I, like, uh, look at the, the source. It's never much of a help. Like, uh, I usually think the, the source is dumber than me, even though I can't say the word, obviously. But I, like, I've always felt like it's cheating. If I can't think of it, yeah, I don't deserve to have it. I agree. So it's like, you know, maybe I'm doing that 80s stand-up comic character again, but, like, Who's the thesaurus for? Nincompoops and lummoxes? Schlemiels and moon calves? Uh, <laughs> so I guess is my point is that... Is he doing a voice? Is he doing any character, Robert? I, I can't tell. Is this a callback to something? I think it's just a modified Seinfeld, but it's it's very accurate to the entire improv experience, evening at it the was, improv experience. I th- tried to think of it as Larry the Cable Seinfeld. That's what I was <laughs> yeah, doing. Yeah. <laughs> The material is killing. You, you missed, Thank you. Thank you. you missed it's your really calling. good. Really good material. That uh, also the pudenda is, is not a mons pubis thesaurus. Uh, I'm right again. Looping back for a moment, it's not the archaeology is an easy subject. It's actually extremely complex because there's a lot of layers to it. It's that the classes and the courses are very easy to pass because mm. the professors are always out adventuring. That's true. Yes. They're out retrieving oh, the artifacts. And so they just come back and basically give you whatever grade like they can. Mm-hmm. And, like, did you ever see Indiana Jones like grade papers? There's like that one scene and basically the fact that he couldn't do it and he just escaped out of his window. So it's like, yeah, everybody yeah. passed that class. That's true. She's just writing, I love you on her eyelids and calling it a day, an academic day done well. So, yeah, I imagine linguistics is pretty hard. So anyway, this is a woman who on paper should be brilliant. And I've read like more than five or six of her books and they're just the stupidest shit ever. And on paper, ever. she's dumb as shit. <laughs> yes. Specifically. So that it's, that's weird to me. So um, I don't know what to do with that, but it's not an element of um, what I was talking about in the article. That's something I looked up after I was completely done with the article and said, like, I don't want to go back and reframe this entire article as as if I'm criticizing a genius for her dumb things. I, I would say also, she wins. I would say that's the win scenario. I suppose. Certainly the I juggler so. and Corey lose. So the opposite of that is you being like, wow, you're way smarter and better than I thought. She wins. Okay, but she, I, I do legitimately find this 
fascinating because mm-hmm. I guess we're we've stumbled across the fact that there are, are very different types of intelligence. Right. I guess uh, like I can't I have no ability to do math. I struggled. I, I the bare minimum math you had to take to get through community college. I'm not joking here. Like I got to for the credits to count, you had to get at least a C and I had to retake one of them. I, I don't I don't do numbers. I don't I don't understand. I, I can do numbers like I can do my, my bills and stuff. But the moment you start putting letters in the math, yep, my brain locks up. I'm, I'm not talking about advanced calculus i'm talking about algebra i'm talking about the stuff that your kids are probably now doing in the fourth grade i i can't it it, it breaks my brain That's it does everybody um but I, I i am known as being smart in other ways but i'm i'm smart in very specific ways and then dumb in almost all the others i can't I here's no... what i think makes you smart and this is going to sound uh, a little bit nice um oh. i i think what makes you smart is that you give a lot of credit to your reader and that allows you to skip to the actual clever and smart stuff. And I feel like that's a thing that Barbara Ann Kipfers is 100% lacking. Like she assumes the reader does not know how to chew their food. That and is so she exactly keeps them, what I was about to say. Is it a case <laughs> where she assumes everyone else is just yeah. a, a monkey? That is, is I just have a, three a PhDs. Therefore, everybody that does not is an idiot. Yeah, have they, I wonder if they've considered slowing down in my book about slowing down. I should put that one in. You're going to have to say it 30 different ways for the idiots to get it. <laughs> and I don't know if that. So I would wonder if she thinks that in a condescending way, the way we're thinking it, or if she thinks of it as like if if I was teaching a kindergarten class, where it's like, well, surely they're not going to know this, so I, I'd better like really explain the the basics of of how to. Uh, if mm-hmm. if it's if she just. Thinks of it in, in like a nice way, like oh, these poor dullards who uh, you know. I, I've got to repeat the chew your food thing because if they just see it once, they're going to forget it. So I'm going to come back to it a few times. Or yeah, is it's it really hard to like, find their these idiots or, will buy anything? Yeah, like I I don't sense a lot of that. I feel like it's got to be there because she keeps making these books and they can't. She can't think they're of any value to anyone. I think she's smart she's, enough to know that she's not bringing anything into the world right that's the that's the thing because there are some of these books where it sounds like a couple of very bored housewives just thought well we could write a book how hard can it be mm-hmm. and you know they kind of threw it together and then the, these and they had some connection to the publisher or whatever they knew an agent and and the, these publishers of this these and then they wrote movies. a very bad book and went, it's really easy. <laughs> yeah, it yep. is. We, we, got, we got, you know, we, we made $600 off of it. Um, and maybe some of them just, you know, did it as like a lark. They thought it was funny because like the bad joke books, you know, it, it's like, oh, I'll write a joke book. That'll be fun. It'll make people laugh. Mm-hmm. And I can see how they think that's harmless. But these, like, she knew she's at a level, has read someone who presumably has read thousands of books in her life. You can't be, have three sure. PhDs without doing that. She knows she's writing junk, and she knows that when she's writing it, I don't know. I, I, I actually it, legitimately it do find that the, interesting. It might be the Buddhism thing, too, which generally as a philosophy is just, eh, whatever, fucking, you know. <laughs> you find, like, wisdom in simple things, focusing on things, letting stuff slide. Uh, it's very fortune cookie-like, and it's sort of everything's simple. Everything sort of makes sense after you hear it. And if you're in the right mood, you're like, yeah, I guess happiness is inside me all along you're just like whatever the fuck and so 
I feel like that's your life philosophy that just nothing really matters. Like everything's brilliant. And I don't know that that's my theory. Nothing against Buddhists. It's generally they they tend to be nice people, but uh, it's rare that like I get a nugget of Buddhist wisdom. I'm like, Oh man, I got to change the path. My life is on. That's so brilliant. It's just like, yeah, dude, I, I eat Chinese food too. I, I've read the paper that comes in the cookies. So, You're not high enough. I'm not high enough. That's probably what it is. No, I'm trust me. I am high enough. No, you could always be higher. Another good point. That's a Buddhist Uh, koan. (laughs) Here's one that uh, is legitimately embarrassing for me. Uh, I write a lot about a guy named Gregory Godek, who's very fascinating to me. I think I've written six articles on him now. And real quick, for those who don't know, he wrote (laughs) A Thousand and One Ways to Be Romantic in the mid-90s, and it just blew up. There were other books like it. It had no reason to be successful, but it was. Then he wrote it again every few months until this very day. And after all these years of making fun of him, I finally opened up this other book I've had, which seemed like it was a parody of it. Like, it was, um, it was called 1001 Ways to Not Be Romantic by a guy named Joe Megadatz. And it was oh, so fucking bad. It's just like a book of rejected Spencer's Gifts magnets. It's just limp zingers, like, with nothing on them. Um, there's nothing like it in modern media. If, if someone with 30 followers tweeted, I want to leave my fat wife. And it got 10 million likes. And then he spent every hour of every day trying to recreate the success of I want to leave my fat wife to fewer and fewer people. It would look like this book after two years. That's the thing I'm trying to describe. And so like like shit like, call me after the Super Bowl is over, mother-in-law. Or um, uh, <laughs> four years of assault and battery. Uh, the real crime is that bitch is meatloaf. So anyway, I hate the book. In hindsight, maybe I'm stupid for not even not even considering this, but shortly after the article went live, someone found a mention of Joe Magadatz on a transcription of a radio interview. Uh, it was with Greg Godek, who broke the story. He admitted he wrote a parody of his own book. No one found that interesting in that radio studio, and they just moved on. So that's like the only reference to it on the internet. So I guess I didn't feel bad about not finding it, but I should have just known, right? Of course, like, how the did only I- person who would consider... His book, important enough to reference and make yes. fun of for an entire other book, would be Godek. Right. He's yes. like, people are going to love this. Everyone's read it. Everyone knows what I'm lampooning. It uh, would, but anyway, I'm the leading Godek researcher, and I didn't notice. It would be like if someone made a porn parody of the Dennis Rodman movie, The Minis. <laughs> we would know it was yeah. made by the same guy that made the minis. We it's like know. no one else assumes that the that the viewer has enough familiarity <laughs> with the minis to get a porn parody. And it's the same thing here. It's like no one but him would assume that that the audience is eager to hear this go that guy get taken down. Right. And so oh, and like, that's an interesting thing you mentioned, get taken down, because I did mention many times in the article that the tone felt false. It didn't feel like a takedown piece. It was clear he was um, he was almost reverent to it. Like he sort of took a uh, the thing he was considering was that romance was for fancy hoity-toity people like highfalutin coastal sophisticates. And he was doing this sort of Larry the Cable Guy thing uh, where he was like, you know, fancy people do romance. We do like finger in the butt in a train station. Uh, not it wasn't lewd like that though. Like it was really really right, that's, that's romantic. Uh, it's pretty, it's kind of romantic, right? She would, she'd love that. You're at a train station. Uh, he would it's love European. that, <laughs> So he also did like this country talk where he would drop the G's off of his words, uh, in, and oh, do so, sort of okay. sports references, but that felt very outsider. It was very much like 
when Nathan Fielder's like, uh, let's pop open a mother effing beer, sports dudes. You know, it's very like, uh, this feels fake. And so um, I guess it, it, it this was fake on top of fake. And so his stereotypes didn't quite work. So when he's like, you know, how fancy people do romance and we don't. Ha ha. Um, I guess one of them was he, he mentions how unromantics eat steak, not swordfish like romantics. And you're just like, dude, I don't even know what the fuck these stereotypes are. What are you talking about? <laughs> of course, so, of course, romantics eat swordfish. How do you not know that? And so, and I made mention of how strange it was in the article, but I never like took that next step because maybe I'm an idiot, but like it was because he didn't want to make fun of 1001 Ways to be Romantic. He just wanted to sort of dismiss it as a different class. Like, oh, I'm not this type of person that, that reads a book like that. I'm like, I'm not smart and rich yeah. enough to get this book. Exactly. And, and so, so I th- your article about this book that Godek secretly wrote, you didn't mention Godek at all in that, did you? Or did you? I mentioned it in that um, that was the source material that he was he was okay. clearly making. He was clearly referencing the Godek book, even though he wasn't making fun of it. And I, I you mentioned how that was weird. As, oh, this guy's written a parody of Godek. And you you just didn't know that it was Godek writing it himself. Was those Exactly. But, and this is the one case where it could have made for a much better article because the observation Absolutely. of how he tried to lampoon himself and the assumptions he asks the reader to make and what he mm-hmm. reveals about himself is actually that's that's the real stuff right there that that's where yeah now granted yeah, it, it changes would, the actual it would take tone. months to actually fully deconstruct the psychology at play there <laughs> it is really fucked up i gotta say it's it's really yeah. deeply disturbing like maybe maybe more so than some of the other maybe more than the juggler to me yeah i was very when i first learned that i was like i gotta take the article down just because like i thought it would be embarrassing for me to be like dunking on this dude while like missing the point completely but I reread it. And I was like, I think it it works. You know, I I don't know. It's still it's very embarrassing. I I do wish I could go back in time and and add that angle to it. But um, I at least am proud of myself that I caught like this. It's weird. He's not um making fun of the book. It's it's weird that he seems to have any reverence at all for this really fucking stupid book. It's weird uh, that I, he keeps specifying how sexual and vigorous Godek is in every <laughs> single entry. Yes. You got like 90% of the way there. I wonder if in an alternate timeline, if you'd had a little bit longer with the article, if you would have finally made that leap. Because the question of who would care enough like to yeah. write a, you know, a parody book of, of this other book that, you know, maybe only for all we knew only sold like 300 copies or I don't know, maybe, maybe they sell by the million. I, I have no idea. His first book sold a lot. Oh, it did was it? actually fairly influential. And to some Huge. degree is oh, why Jesus. we have so many of these thousand and one books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was on uh, Oprah. He was he on Oprah. On an, oh, and oh, see, I didn't he even, even kind of got made fun of there. Cause like she sort of just opened the book and started randomly reading them. And she's like, Dude, these are fucking stupid. She didn't say that, but she's like, "What?" She said what, exactly that <laughs> in her Oprah voice and everything. And he kind of had like a panic in his voice when he was trying to like defend his book, and it's it's kind of great. There was a video that I I sent to to Robert that I said we maybe we should do something about this, and it was a talk that he gave at a university where he like it was pretty recent, and he went up there as you know best selling author Gregory Godek to a bunch of kids who had no fucking idea who he was. And he was and there would with not, some lady. would not respect it if they did. Yes. 
And he was clearly trying to like big league this lady who was on the stage with him, who was, uh, I guess, an also an author. The kids didn't know, but she had like a puppet. And Godek was like so fucking pissed because I guess he thought he'd be like welcomed as the king of all literature. By the yes, puppet. and he and, knew it. <laughs> and it's so. It's so fucking... I almost felt bad for Godek, and he's one of my least favorite people that's ever Because that puppet was rocketing. Yeah. Puppet, puppet was just, just taking his spotlight. <laughs> there were several ways for me to get to that epiphany. I never got there. Well, all right. well you didn't blow it. Because like, the article still works, and it's it just adds another element. We went back and edited the, the follow-up yeah. to it. So the audience at the will end, at the so end. The, you're right, right, right. At the end, they'll realize, oh... This is the real Godek as a, you know, no could make plume. an argument that we trust our audience enough to then figure out the new tone that the article takes. It's it's us doing it's us doing Nolan. It's us doing Nolan's memento. That's right. Changing yeah. In Nolan the end, backwards. in the end, it lets them enjoy it two times. Right. And, We're the real geniuses. <laughs> and for, also for it's not, not knowing. It's not a mistake done out of laziness. It's a mistake. In that Sean cannot imagine a mind depraved enough to do what Godek did here. Right, but I should have been insane. able to. Of anyone in the world, it should have been me who saw this coming. Right, you are his criminal profiler. No, that's, yeah, see, that that's the thing. I think that's a credit that, that you've you've not, you know, you, you've not become the kind of monster that can think like a monster. You would never occur to yeah. you to do what this guy did. And that ultimately you were too, you're too pure at heart to... They they would have to have had found like another Godek in prison somewhere and had him had that's him a, look at it and like oh I will tell you who wrote failure. this book but you will need to do something for me first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, you're right. I am a hero. Yes. <laughs> do All people, right, Rocky, the listeners? I wanna... I, I'm I'm going to state the beyond obvious to the listeners and the fans of One Nine Hundred Hot Dog. The entire joy of 1900 Hot Dog is that we are in a world full of truly horrific things happening. The <laughs> fact that Sean is more mad at Godek than any like of these third world dictators or whatever, that's the whole that's the whole fun of it because when you come onto the site for that day, the the thing to get mad at most in the world is this bad list book. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's so for that moment you get to there's like the suspension of disbelief. It's like for right now, the biggest crime that was committed in the world today is this terrible book that was written. And we're just going to <laughs> read this column where Sean has devoted an enormous amount of thought and mental and emotional energy to digging into why he hates it so much in a world in which obviously other things deserve our hate more. But that's that's why it's fun. It's it's escapism. It's that we're yeah. going to pretend that this episode of Super Friends is is something to be to to even be worth criticizing now in twenty twenty one. That's our that's our motto for twenty twenty two. We distract you from the howling wastes outside your door. Yeah, that's legitimately what it is. And it is a it is a legitimate service to to people. That's humanity. Uh so yeah. But with the fact Thank that he you. was so so mad at, at the book or or whatever that he never never got or so so engaged in criticizing this juggler's mediocre <laughs> juggling that he never thought to see if he was an international sex criminal. That's, when that's, when you should rightfully suspect all jugglers of being international <laughs> sex criminals just yeah, I, as they juggle. It will never happen again. That mistake will never be made again. 
<laughs> never trust a juggler again. Should we do some of yours, uh, Brockway? Oh, did you not have another? That's it. That's it for me. I brought oh, my okay. four. Yeah, we will do some I of mine. Thought, I thought there were. Is there one I'm forgetting? Four. That's all of them. I did. Godek. Did, did you? I did. Barbara Ann Kipfer, and then uh, two terrible sex criminals. Okay, right. Yeah, that's, that's four. Right. Yeah, that was four. All right. We, we did say we were bad with math and numbers. Uh, <laughs> counting to four counts as that. I actually, uh, I know this, a lot of the show is about how I'm a hero, but I did actually get to differential equations in college. I was an engineering major. Yeah, you made calculators. We know. You keep showing it off. <laughs> you were an engineering major? Uh-huh. I went to uh, U of I on an engineering scholarship, actually, before I decided it wasn't. A lot of homework. Like in differential equations, I say I took the class. I did great for about two weeks. And then I like missed a day and realized I missed a very complicated way to solve those crazy problems and uh, just kind of never caught back up. And so I was like, maybe, maybe this isn't the major for me. Then you realize where the real money is. <laughs> the real money was in art. Not to totally derail this podcaster and you can you can cut all this if you want. But Brockway, how are you? How are you in school? Uh, I was the stereotypical gifted kid. I got promoted and bumped a few grades when I was a kid mm. and uh, way too early so that I, I fundamentally thought that I was way smarter. Maybe not way smarter than I was, but way smarter so I didn't need to do the work. And uh, yeah, I got like straight A's when I wanted to until I got bored with it. And then I got a lot of protest F's. <laughs> and uh, I did go back to college where I continued to get A's without doing the work really and kind of got nothing out of it. And that basically screwed me for life because I thought I was smarter than I was and it didn't apply to me. So, yeah. Yeah, that gives me, kid. Really fuck with you. I didn't yep, just, it really did. I, I didn't just pull that question out of my ass. This is going back to the lady with the three PhDs who wrote the dumb mm -hmm. book and there being different <laughs> types of intelligence. I, I find that fascinating because it... That there's some alternate universe where Sean is is an engineer, and uh, I don't. Know, it's I feel maybe like that was me. never going to happen. Maybe it maybe that was never in the cards. But but I don't know. I, yeah, I feel like it took me maybe until my late twenties to learn that I should try to do stuff like actually try. <laughs> <laughs> I I was suffered from some of that too. Jason, were you a, a gifted kid? I had severe attention deficit problems in an era when that wasn't yet known as a thing uh, like when you're in elementary school in the late 80s i had never heard the term add or adhd mm -hmm. so all i knew was that i found every class incredibly boring so like i was right. always reading books way 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 ahead of my grade level but like i got a d in english my senior year in high school <laughs> and it's because if the whole thing and i i do feel like it's partly laziness i'm not calling any other add suffers or adhd suffers lazy i'm speaking only for me that I, if something didn't, if I didn't find a subject interesting or engaging, I did not have the ability to say, well, it doesn't matter. It's important. Like, the, uh, the, you know, not every, not every important thing is entertaining. Like there's some mm. stuff you just need to know, you know? And so, and I could not apply myself. So like getting into, like, I still don't know the rules of grammar. I don't know what, I don't know what a gerund is. Like, I can't sit here and, and I couldn't teach you how grammar works i i only is that guy from the sandwiches that likes the the, the kid pictures <laughs> god damn it uh I, I i just know from like reading other 
you know, it's like some musicians can, can read sheet music and some have no idea what it even is. They just go by what sounds good to them. And, and I'm one of mm-hmm. the, the what, latter. What can, joke's good to me? Yeah. I go by what joke's good to me. But I don't know. I don't know what the difference between a semicolon and, a, a, and an mm-hmm. M dash and a hyphen. I just kind of interchange interchangeably right. switch them based on my mood. Uh, and they, and they, the copy editors let it go. So apparently that's just a rule. You can just I use think, them any kind I mean, of anything to indicate a pause in a sentence. You can just use whatever symbol you want as long as yeah. it makes the reader pause and it still works. I think there you're as smart as me because I've copy edited several articles on our site. I never have to touch it. I get to the end. I'm like, oh, I didn't. I didn't have to mess with that at all. Yes. I think we're all just kind of stu- stupid in the same you, way. You, I mean, I do the same thing. Yeah. I never really studied grammar because it was just very, very boring to me. And I kind of instinctively knew how words worked. And also everybody was like, oh, but you can break that rule here, 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 and here. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to do yeah. that then. Yeah, I'll just do that whenever I want that. Yeah. And like the concept of, I remember there being a whole lesson on what a run-on sentence was. And I'm sure there's very specific rules, but I, now it's just like, well, that sentence feels like it's been going on a while. I Mm-hmm. I should break that Whereas up. Whereas sometimes that ones. sentence needs to go on a while, and that's the point of the sentence. Yeah, uh, I wish Barbara Ann Kipfer were here. She's a linguistics PhD, and then she would start talking about grammar, and I would instantly check out again. But to be <laughs> making my whole living. On it. To be clear, the reason I'm able to write stuff that adheres to rules is because I read millions of words. I devoured right. books on top of books on top of books. Like, like so, it, you know, it's not because I'm a prodigy. I didn't come out of a cave knowing how to construct sentences. It was just through reading, you know, nonstop. And also of wrote friends. probably millions of words. Yeah, now. yeah. Certainly so, millions of words. By now. Uh, you know, it, it's the same deal. Do it, that. Do that instead of instead of studying like grammar for a semester, just uh, read millions and millions and write millions and millions of words. But anyway, that, that was a detour a off tip. the subject, and you can you and can chew cut, your food slowly. You can cut all of that if it wasn't entertaining. We'll see. I'll listen to it and see how boring we're being. <laughs> Probably. What were your examples of your follow my my follow ups? They'll be quick. Like I said, end Animal House. We're just gonna follow up on them real quick. A lot of it. Probably a lot of our fans know already, but we've never made it official as far as I can remember. Uh, so I'll just start. Uh, Chuck Austin, who we made fun of for oh, World Jesus. Watch and his terrible, terrible takes on women, on porn, on sex, on storytelling, on definitely on minorities. Okay, uh, I cannot that, believe that how bad this comics were. He is, what's his job? He's a comic book writer? He's a, yeah, he's a comic book writer responsible for World Watch, which was a, a parody, sort of, of Justice League and the authority and, and the team-up things. And he he's one of those people that thinks they're way more clever than they are, so his savage takedowns were always just tacit endorsements of his shitty thoughts on on women and on the gays and on minorities, a lot yeah. of all of those things. And we wrote about him extensively. And uh, he went on after that to produce and co-found and write for a show called Tripping the Rift, uh, which was a CGI monstrosity that looked terrible and did all of those same things again. Just big titties and stereotypes and lots of problems. And then he went uh, radio silent for a little bit, and then he came back to produce... Steven Universe, widely considered one of the most progressive masterpieces in modern animation, and also co-show ran the She-Ra reboot, widely acclaimed for its queer-friendly and feminist storytelling. So, so he had he an wins. arc. That okay. guy had an arc. Did, did he come around? Did he just change what the, the 
the times, do you think? Or is I, it a- I think maybe he did. Uh, I don't know. And there's not a lot of like interviews with him talking about like, yeah, I was a real huge piece of shit. And then uh, I met, you know, a, a magical minority who had a lot of important lessons to teach me using a sport analogy. Like, I don't I don't know what <laughs> happened to him. <laughs> but he turned around and he came back out and he started producing for Steven Universe. And that got him the job co-show running. The Shira reboot, which he, uh, I believe, still does. Uh, but yeah, he really turned that motherfucker around. I just could not believe. If you can just read World Watch, it speaks for itself. It's it's horrible, and it makes him it's out to be a horrible person. It did make me think of my favorite. You did make me think of my favorite white privilege, which is um, I'm never somebody's first white friend. Like the first person of color or gay person that Chuck Austin met had to explain to him so much shit. And that's not the first time they've had to do that. And every single like non-white person has to do that to at least 10 people in their lives. And that's, I think, my favorite white privilege. Is that and they I'll, were I'll all never... Chuck Austin. They were all Chuck Austin, yes. Just over and over again. Yeah, like somebody got through to him, though. Somebody taught him. It was, yeah. it was pretty amazing. And uh, I'll the just... part-time job of every non-white person is uh, educator. <laughs> it should be mentioned that... Unpaid, of course. Yes. You know, the the world changes rapidly and views of things change rapidly. Because when I grew up, the idea of like gay people getting married wasn't even on the table as a discussion. Right. In the 80s. Like they, I think the approval of that idea back then was like in single digits. I think it's like 94% said, well, no, of course not. And then there's like this 6% of weirdo lefties somewhere in Berkeley saying, well, yeah, they should be able to. Men should be able to marry men. And we just, if we even heard about it, we laughed at what it. What is next? Horses? <laughs> Horses, yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, but like what is now the fringe conservative dickhead position was the default unquestioned position just in my lifetime. So mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of people came around on that. And virtually none of those people went out in public and renounced their old view and said, exactly. well, I had this this crisis of, you know, I, I met a, a lovely gay couple and they showed me it doesn't work like that. A lot of people, their beliefs actually are not all that strong. And if you just explain it, this is one of the biggest misconceptions people have about the world. Lots of people, he's like, ah, you're not gonna, never going to change anybody's mind. That's absurd. The whole country has radically changed its mind on all sorts of things just in the time I've been alive and I'm not that old. And it's and I think like it's more like this guy. Like you just quietly like he probably sees all that some of that old stuff as being embarrassing or whatever, but he's not gonna go make this public show about renouncing his old identity or whatever. He just quietly right. moved on to try to be better. That's most of what Let's we hope. did. I know. I've always said whenever we brought this up that it was inspiring to me. And I, I'm, I'm, I am half joking. I'll admit that. But <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, it sucked so bad. It's a record of kind of how we all sucked in like late 90s through the 2000s. I certainly have some problems in my career that I would cop to mm-hmm. and do well, not like and have changed. So it's great to see. Like, I don't yeah. I think we would know if he was just cynically faking this. I don't think he would be working on shows like Steven Universe and the new Shira reboot, which make their critical wages on earnestness and authenticity. It's kind of I like, think we could tell. It's kind of like the opposite of the path Ricky Gervais traveled. <laughs> where like his stuff he wrote for The Office and some some other shows showed like this 
deep, deep level of humanity and nuance. And, you know, everybody is it's this re- recurring message that everybody is just needy deep down and like all of their their maladaptive behaviors are just out of loneliness, things like that. And then today it's just nonstop just trolling the woke and and yeah. the simplistic dumb thinking it's so it's fascinating it's good to see that some people actually don't just mature in reverse the way the way some some <laughs> yeah we see have. that that story gets a lot more airplay than you know people just quietly getting better yeah which is the more common situation because otherwise you would have a country that used to have gay marriage and then quietly strangled it and so it's like well no we, we slowly got more progressive with lots of mm-hmm. things anyway good job chuck austin uh Great job. next up we bring this up all the time uh it's steven seagal and the carrot i'm gonna give us a little where are they now <laughs> where's steven seagal and his carrot no i'm going to just explain a little bit because i think we all knew it uh certainly the articles and stuff where we find the images all mentioned it but the person who handed the carrot to Stephen Skull and watched him eat it was Alexander Lukashenko, president and dictator of Belarus and right. human rights violator and monster. Yeah, not a good guy. Yeah, that's the guy that handed Stephen Skull that carrot and then sat there and watched him eat it. For Honestly, people, I get someone tells me that every time we ever mention Stephen Skull the carrot, at least one person. I don't know is that like, we've ever mentioned it. Like, a yeah, we have not. No, <laughs> but see, that's the thing. Okay, I, I want to address this. Because I think I was the one on one of our many mentions of Steven Seagal <laughs> where I said, if you guys have not, if you just Google the phrase Steven Seagal carrot, all the listeners out there, your day will instantly be made better because you will mm-hmm. get one of the best photos. It's also a video clip of all time. And it's just Steven Seagal you're at, right. at this function just munching on a giant carrot like a cartoon character. And and we mentioned that that, that photo like brought us more joy than any of my novels have brought any reader. And all Steven Seagal had to do was just eat a carrot. Because if you watch the video, it makes like a very loud noise when he bites into it. Because uh, so, it's it's a giant oversized carrot. But yeah, we didn't <laughs> mention so that the carrot was handed to him by a murderous dictator. Because I actually think that photo is funnier without any context at all. But yes, it, but it is frankly insane that we did not mention that's dictator carrot. That but is I would say likely, carrot. yeah, likely less funny if you find out that there's a human rights violator that handed him the carrot. Well, it depends on it. your sense of humor. I, I yeah, will admit yeah, mine finds it a little more funny. Chuck but. Austin likes it. <laughs> but I again, I feel like that is a quintessential one nine hundred hot dog thing. I hope it doesn't sound pretentious yeah. when I say that, but I really do mean it. The fact that we. Thought he looked funny eating that carrot and stopped. Yeah, that's like, it. I love I love how he doesn't quite know how to receive the carrot. Like there's no protocols for like somber, reflective carrot receiving. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying yeah, to he's trying to be a, he's trying to bring like Asian Japanese bow. Yes, like he wanted to, to do like to a bow. He does. The, he kind of bows with the carrot. What's the it's Belarusian still. carrot equivalent of a deep Eastern bow. You yeah. could still hear us, even in the thing where we, where we talk specifically about the dictator who gave him that carrot. We're still like, no, no, let's talk about the carrot more. But because it's great. I, I realize the listeners have many questions. Why was he eating the carrot with the dictator? Why did the dictator have a carrot? Why did he yeah. hand it to Steven Seagal to eat? Why, why, why? And again, my whole point is... I, I never wanted to know because that—that's the whole yeah. point. Is it, it's there's no context for this, 
It's like my, po- my point was that I knew. A carrot. <laughs> my your, I, my whole point was that I knew because I would I googled it and went to the article and the article immediately that's mm. the headline in the article, yeah, uh, and I didn't care because I, the the star of the article was just him eating that carrot. So, it just mm-hmm. so immediately overshadowed. I guess go ahead and explain to all of us then why why was he why did the dictator the murderous dictator of Belarus why did he hand him a, a carrot to eat what what was what were they doing. It was just like a, it was like a farming thing. Proud of my farm. Stephen Skull one, always wanted to meet him because he just likes to suck off dictators. It was a, a photo op for like the harvest. But he wasn't, it wasn't Stephen Skull's farm. He wasn't an investor. No, you know what? And... It was a power move. Uh, he came to visit the country and Alexander Lukashenko gave him a carrot and said, you will eat this. And then quietly sat there and watched while people took pictures of him knowing that this is what would happen. <laughs> yeah, he, he came out on top. It's what, that's what happens when you I fuck with a, a dictator, Seagal. Because great I day for that carrot, too. He clearly, Steve Seagal clearly didn't know this guy was going to hand him a carrot to eat. <laughs> and what else do you do? Like, there's, I'm assuming he was facing like a bank of cameras and government, you know, officials or whatever that had come there to record this stupid thing. And everyone is staring at you and you're, you're holding this carrot that this guy, it's like, am I supposed to? To eat this? Like, what else would you do? Like, wave it around? Or, like, there's, right. there's nothing. To, so he did the one thing you had. You're right. It is such a, a power move because you're you're boxed into a corner. Like, yeah. So he just took this big, loud crunch off this carrot. And I try, I'm imagining. As flashbulbs go off. Flashbulbs. Exactly. <laughs> I'm imagining then after he did it and then, like, chewed and turned over and looked at the dictator, the dictator just stared at him silently like, no, you're going to eat the whole yeah. thing. Finish the carrot. <laughs> Finish the carrot. Down to the greens, Stephen. <laughs> the next, next 25 minutes. <laughs> just silently chewing on this giant carrot. Because that's the kind of thing where if, if I were famous enough to be invited to functions, I would, I would find... This is where, and please don't, don't take this out of the context of the episode. These are the one times when I find Donald Trump relatable is because occasionally there'd be this bit of outrage media. It's like, well, Donald Trump was invited to this, the official koi fishing, koi feeding ceremony with the Japanese prime minister. And he acted like uh-huh. a fool. He was supposed to do this. And instead he, like he grabbed the yeah. samurai sword and started Stomp, just stomped through the pond, just started 100%. kicking fish, waving around like a child. And it's like, well, yeah, cause he doesn't know what, what this is. <laughs> and he, he's just there like trying to, do something for the cameras because it's like this is stupid why are we it's some <laughs> symptom of him being wildly out of his depth as we yeah. keep saying and it's like there if was you one put, where he like saluted some north korean like officer and i was like what oh <laughs> fucking what yeah but it's the kind of thing but that, he doesn't know that i would do it's, if i was dragged into that situation yeah and the cameras are on me and i'm trying to like the people are waiting for me to what do, do, I do something here? I, I would start here? like clowning around a little bit, like just trying to uh-huh. be friendly and relatable. It's like, oh, and then it would the headlines the next day be like, you know, Jason touched the sacred vase of whatever, which it's <laughs> well known that no human is to touch it. It's like, well, okay, I didn't know that insulted well, their religion. I was just, you were all looking at me, and I was just trying. I didn't to, know it would make me the next chosen one. I had no idea. <laughs> I definitely now have I'm a in picture of me in a big truck pretending like I'm driving the big truck. Like that's. The kind of shit a normal person does. I, so I agree. Yeah. Right. But to some extent, let's go the other route. Uh, there are people that brief you on all of this extensively when you become president. And he you would think. did not listen to any of them. 
like they've written articles about how he does not listen yes. to any of them ever and cancels their meetings. And this is what happens. Yes. Other people learn this. Because he, and this yeah. is the type of thing we don't normally talk about on 1-900-HOT-DOG, which is... And I would like uh, to stop. I, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. We, can, we can cut all of this, too. I just, I just don't, don't want to get too I don't think he was a very smart Trump guy. Group. That's my thing. A controversial, bold stance that you will only find no. here on 1-900-HOT-DOG. political com- hour. comparing him to Steven Seagal... <laughs> no, this, circumstances i think is it's exactly they are right. the, like, they are kind a, of the same person it was a trumpian moment where like he's with all these powerful people that probably have a way of you know navigating the psychology this, doing these power moves yes and donald trump had the, he tried to do these type of power moves remember when he first became Damn president it. he used to do this thing i know he used to do this thing where he would like grab people by the hand and like kind of crank on it to try to pull them off he, balance. Yeah, he pulled them t- toward him. It was his yeah, handshake yeah. move. Why? Yeah. Like pull them and off And he ran into some like Eastern European guy who like saw it coming and like totally fucking cock blocked him. He like planted his heels and like got the better of it and he never did it again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so they, and the, the, the listeners can go Google that if they want to, to think about Trump some more. I, I am one. I am absolutely <laughs> the one who brought him up and I, I apologize. We're going to be here all day now. Yeah, Here's no, another we're, thing. We're moving on to, ooh, to a related subject. Uh, Doug Giles, famous dinky, uh, subject of our podcast. Oh, of course, I was like, author of "If Masculinity Is Toxic, Call Jesus Radioactive." <laughs> I can't get through it to this day. Also, author of "Pussification." Yep. Uh, I just oh, wanted to guy. update everybody that he has a new book out as of last month, and it's called "Psalms of War." Prayers that literally kick ass. Jesus Christ, Doug. <laughs> that's it. That's it for Doug Giles. Did I miss this? Was he the subject of an article or just the subject of a of podcast? A, of a just podcast. a podcast. Yeah, we. Jamie we came on, and I read that to Jamie and Brockway. The uh, he like never cursed, but he's always talking about like fucking all these pussies screwing up our nation. Jesus <laughs> wouldn't have put up with this shit, but like the G-rated version of that. He had these weird rambling. He called everybody notes. dinkies instead. Yeah, he called everyone that dinky. Was a, and Remember Jamie, the br- she made a shirt of. <laughs> yeah, it was excellent. It was good. He had that rambling anecdote about how he was out at dinner and like somebody gave him a nasty side eye at his church for having like a Coors Light with dinner. And it took him like eight pages to get through his rage about this and how like that dude was fat and he's looking at me about a beer. Nah, nah, dinky. And in his own story, he did nothing. He just went outside yeah. and let it get to him. Yeah. For like hours as he drove home and then started thinking of like perfect responses that he could have made. And then he wrote, he wrote it into a book. And they weren't perfect responses. They were, they were pathetic. If masculinity is toxic, call Jesus radioactive and pussification. That, I bet that guy would fight me. I bet if we went to his house and said, Hey, Doug Giles, we're here to fight you. He'd be like, I don't know yeah, who this of, is, but A lot yes. of those podcasts would be like, you know, arguments and, and maybe some shoving. That one would be mostly slapping sounds. Yeah. Songs Not a great audio Prayers format. that literally kick ass. <laughs> Love it. Uh, next up is Bill Jemis, uh, author of Marvel, which we made fun of in two episodes. That was a comic book. Uh, oh God, that's the backstory on that is so long. It was a terrible comic book uh, mm. where he just... Went out to lampoon what he thought was wrong with comic books uh, and ended up just disappearing completely under his own asshole and did the whole Alan Moore thing, but he couldn't pull it off where it just became like somebody meets God and it's his his theories about life and cell division and shit. 
It was one of the most singularly embarrassing and frustrating things that I've ever looked at. It's so bad. And it turned out, we realized somewhat into it, when we actually did think to Google him, that uh, he was the editor-in-chief, I believe, of Marvel Comics at the time that Marvel Comics ran this. uh, Yeah. Which was amazing. And that this was all part of a bet he made with Joe Caseta and Peter David uh, to see who could sell more comic books because he fucking hated Peter David. And uh, Peter David completely trounced him. And Bill Jamis wrote Marvel, widely regarded as uh, one of the worst comic books of all time. And I just wanted to to follow up after he, he lost his job for just interfering too much, not having good ideas and... Just kind of not being a good dude. It seems like he said some shitty mm-hmm. stuff, but I couldn't find what it was. But people stopped liking him, even though he did do some amazing things to turn around Marvel. So he was good at the business end, not so much good at the uh, the creating and people end. Surprise. He went on to many failed projects. He tried <laughs> to do Bible translation software. He tried oh. to do uplifting t-shirts. All of these failed almost immediately, and he <laughs> bailed on them. Uh, he recently made his triumphant return to comic books by co-founding uh, a new imprint called AWA Comics. Uh, so this is an inspiring story. Uh, their first title was called The Resistance. It was about a global pandemic that kills 95% of the world, and oh. it debuted on March 18th, 2020. Fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. That had to have been at least like popular, right? Or well, not well-received, but well-known. I'd never heard of it, but no, I don't. I don't think it made it very far at all uh, with that release date. It canceled shortly yeah. after. I'm sure. Ah. I just, Oof. just he went on to do so many projects, and they kept bailing right at the start. And then he <laughs> went back to his what he knows that he can do, which is starting a running a comic book company. And they release <laughs> a thing about the pandemic. I think on the official start of the pandemic, perhaps down to the day. That's amazing. Now you guys are comic guys, and I'm not. It, either I'm either of you. I'm going to ask a question: Is this the last few years? Is this a good time to try to start a new comic book company? I don't see why I, not. I would imagine see, I'm not really a comic book guy I, I, I anymore. Got the sense I was like that, a comic book guy into the like early 2000s, and they got too bad for me i got the sense that that industry collapsed and that basically it only existed to be like on the the narrow long tail of the the films like basically they're storyboards Mm. for future film characters whatever but that it suffered the same fate as lots of things where they sell them digitally but people don't value them the same so right. the, uh, people don't want to pay what they used to pay for a whole comic. So it's the same deal with have, happened to like magazines. Like there's still some around, mm-hmm. but it, where it used to be just this, you know, fountain of money it, that it's now the, the people that consume those characters, they do it in the form of a, a Disney Plus series. But I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That makes sense. And Bill sure. Jemis is it jumped right into it at the tail end so that he could fail again. But you can work remotely when you produce a comic, I guess is what I was thinking is that sure that, that the industry might have collapsed, but like the producing the comic is still something you could do during a pandemic or, you know, without any overhead of a building. Unless yeah, I, I it's wasn't. specifically about a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, the, the one okay, thing people uh, probably do not want to read about. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he did it. I, I swear to God, maybe on the day everybody realized this was a thing. Uh, next up is Icy Spicy Leonsi. Oh, she's uh, the best. I, 
she was just a total YouTube maniac. Uh, I wrote wrote about her because she wrote songs like uh, "Killer in the Park" and uh, "New Kid in Town," where she she wanted to molest a child very clearly, but didn't understand why that was, I guess, frowned upon. Uh, You're not and some she great wrote, detective. I can't. I can't remember the songs. I'm trying to think. <laughs> trying to sing uh, it "Sex Crazy Cop." Was it? Yeah, that's one? that's yeah. the one I'm singing. Are we sure that we're pronouncing her name correctly? Because it sounds like it's supposed to rhyme. Yeah, I think it was supposed to rhyme, and she doesn't understand right. what a rhyme She's is. Icelandic and Pakistani, if if I remember. No, right. she is uh, Indian, and then she moved to England for a while, and then moved to Iceland, and I guess feels stuck there. Uh, because you'll okay. know from the end of the article, she went full MAGA idiot, uh, just total Trump headed. It's now doing turf and Islamophobe stuff. Uh, yeah. Very bad person overall. And she lives in Iceland and she hates it there. Uh, in her words, uh, she thinks that she's not successful in the music industry there because there's an incest mafia running the Icelandic music industry. Jesus Christ. Uh, she, she tweeted uh, her exact quote. <clears throat> government criminals in Iceland always also get away with their hate crimes because of their incest degeneracy. They are related to each other and bribe journalists abroad to write hallelujah stories about them. They spray their own turds with gold spray to bluff others. Ha. Ha. Got him. Got him. Uh, she now wants to get into politics back in uh, India, and when asked about her policies, the top of her list, she <laughs> said... I want to make sure that mostly people who are Indians get all their rights. There's lots of trouble that comes out of Africa and Nigeria. Wow. So, fascism. It's, it sounds oh, yeah. like but these themes her platform is fascism. Turn up in her music, right? There wasn't no, any hint Well, of... towards the end, she, she wrote a song called Trump Song, where she just said, Donald Trump is, is great president. Donald Trump is so much fun, and I love him. <laughs> Things yeah. like that. But most so, of her songs were very... Very at odds with this. They were very lighthearted. She wrote one about like how she's a vegetarian, and it's all it's the best because she can eat ice cream and fish all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and lots of things like that where she didn't she didn't quite get what 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 words, meanings, definitions, and certainly music were about. But she had a lot of fun with it. But she has great judgment with like immigration policy. Yeah, she gets there. Well, but I will. I will end my to several different countries in her life. Uh, and it, I think and it just taught her that, she, that no one should have fucking let her in. Yeah, <laughs> taught it. She feels like she shouldn't have gone to Iceland, so nobody else should go anywhere. <laughs> uh, incest mafia is is the takeaway I want you guys to take. Well, we have one. no evidence that's not true. We're not dismissing this person's sure claim out of hand. We did not. I believe it, it completely. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know a lot have, about Iceland. Iceland. I pretty much just Bjork is like what I know about Iceland. So I could believe incest mafia just solely, again, solely based on what I know about Bjork. Okay. What? Uh, no, I'm, no, I'm not going to follow up. <laughs> are, are those all of your, are those all of your examples? No, of, I, okay. I have one, one positive one to uh, take us out on. And that is Ron Merck, uh, the director who made cocktails, uh, probably oh, yeah. my most beloved thing we've ever covered which was mm -hmm. wasn't even a show uh wasn't even a pilot he made a trailer for this show in the hopes that the trailer would get it picked up and uh he is just an elderly gay man who i guess did not discover the san francisco club scene until 
I'm thinking probably mid 50s, mid 60s, yes. and thought that it was just an entirely new world that nobody had ever explored before. This was like mid 2000s, maybe later. No, I think mm-hmm. this was like 2010. It's a lot so of fun. Clearly, He's... people knew. I share his enthusiasm for the San Francisco gay club scene. <laughs> and it changed his life, and he wanted to set an emotional drama there uh, starring bartenders, and it was going to be a reality show about their love life, and it was going to be called Cocktails. Get it? You get it. Oh, I get it. Uh, however, <laughs> Because they have drinks, yeah. However, uh, in making the trailer, it started with a lot of insane drama about just a weird cast of characters and their, like, relationships with each other. And then it started introducing, like, detectives hunting serial killers. (laughs) And then it introduced, like, a man who had no personality of his own and could only copy others. And by the end of it, this trailer, only seven minutes long, what a journey, uh, it had him with, like, a, a street fighting samurai, like, out of cyberpunk. And a, a battle between gay oh, so Gabriel awesome. and the actual gay devil. Uh, so it, it was it was wonderful, and it should have happened, and it didn't happen. <clears throat> and I know you you've got your hopes up now since I said I had new new positive news. You're like oh, cocktails is getting come picked up. I'm sorry on. to do that to you. It's not. Damn. However, he is according to his own words at least he is developing a Broadway stage musical adaptation of Arnold Schwarzenegger's first film, Hercules in New York. That's fucking awesome. That's fucking amazing. Is it going to be, like, really gay-coded? Uh, have you seen Hercules in New York? Oh, yes. I don't understand how it could not be. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining the bear is going to be different. <laughs> I'm very excited for that. And yeah. I don't even like musical theater. I'm all on board. Just wanted to, I wanted to take us out on a pure positive. Well, I, I actually do have one final example, but if, if that's okay. Please. Um, uh, actually, in 2020, one of the first columns I wrote for you guys was a review of the Christian Rapture film, um, A Thief in the Night, mm-hmm. which is about the, the, a very low-budget film about all of the Christians being taken off the earth in, as before the second coming of Christ, as, which is the Christian, the evangelical Christian apocalypse scenario. And then part of it was, as soon as the Christians have been zapped off the earth, all of the remaining people, the non-Christians, all immediately become, they join this worldwide Nazi movement that right. requires them to get a mark on their hand that can be like scanned. And then if you don't have that mark, it means you're a holdout Christian and you'll be hunted and killed by the government and you won't be allowed to, to buy and sell or, or trade or whatever. Um, and th- those came out in the seventies. This is obviously, if you grew up in that evangelical subculture, you're well familiar with all of those tropes because they continue to this day. They're the, you know, the feature of the left behind books. Um, but the follow up the beast is that uh, there's a headline this week that a Swiss company has figured out a way to encode your vaccine card information (laughs) into a little chip that can be inserted under the skin of your hand um, so that places that require vaccine, instead of you having to produce a card, they can just scan the back of your hand and say, yes, vaccinated, or no, this person is unvaccinated and thus ostracized from society. So the follow-up is that the Christian apocalypse has occurred. <laughs> I liked mine better. I liked Hercules in New York musical better than the Christian apocalypse has happened. 
I it seems like they got to know, right? I mean, even a cursory they, they Google of know. like any element of this is going to turn up Mark of the Beast stuff. So I feel like to be that spot on, mm-hmm. you are trolling. You've got to be yeah. trying to start He's destabilizing like, at least, especially the U.S. This right? is going to be hilarious. <laughs> Right, well, that this is culture war that they have declared on us, and we need to bomb. What is it? Norway? Going to bomb them into the dust? <laughs> Switzerland. I, I know you. Uh, you we're got getting confused. Norway. You got confused by Sean's accent there, but uh, <laughs> Sean's accent work is some of my favorite elements of this. And I, I mean, it's, uh, it's my true passion. It's it's the, I've, before I've raved about his Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is. Uh, <laughs> Maybe oh, the, that's a good idea. I should contact that guy and let him know I'd do a pretty good gay Arnold if he wants me for the stage production of Hercules <laughs> in New York. The most uh, any any thirty seconds of that performance would be so problematic that it would bring this whole organization to the ground. Einstein Hunter Frankfurt. Einstein Hunter Frankfurt. It's a podcast canal. Und mit maximalen Schau. Doc Frankfurt podcast. The Cosmoverse is in trouble once again. Evil Count Spatula and his Star Boys have captured Princess Aether, and it's up to the Supremes to save her now. The universe needs Wienertron, to your lion, Three Finger Louie, Adrian H, Alpha Scientist Jabo, Armando Nava, Uform, the head, Aiden Moat, Benjamin Cyronin. Brandon Garlock, Bim Talzer, you're the left leg. Brianne Whitney, Rockway loves the meat millie. Doctor Awkward, Chad, you're the right leg. Eric Spalding, Dean Costello, Chase McPherson, you pilot the right arm. Chris Brower, K and M, laziest man on Mars. Curious Glare, you're on left arm duty. Dan B, you're the left hand. Jellaho, Ken Paisley. Hambone, you're on torso patrol. Haraka, Hot Fart. Jaber Al Aiden, you're, uh, you're the right hand. Patrick Herbst, Rev, John Dean. Left foot, John McCammon, right foot, John Minkoff, Josh Fabian, Josh S is uh, the gyrating hips, Mark, Matt Cortez, Matt Riley, you're the heart, Mike Styles, Moju, ND, Neil Bailey, you're the brain, Neil Schaefer, you're the guts. Nick Ralston, you're the pancreas. Everything needs a pancreas. Nick H. Rhiannon. Rich Joslin, you're the id. 
Sarkovsky, you're the ego. Donald Finney, Timmy Leahy, Tommy G, we can't do this without you. You're the, uh, the hair. Toasty God, Aaron Croston, Tom Sakula, we need you to be the glasses. Fancy Shark, Yosarian, and Cyril, you're the third leg. You know what I mean, Cyril. Look, I'm trying to be a gentleman here, but fine, you get in that cock line.